in your Bibles this morning, John chapter number 16. We'll begin reading in verse number 16. Today's message is titled this, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Those are encouraging words from the Lord himself. And we come in this text and this passage of Scripture, we've spent a lot of time in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 in the book of John. And the subject matter is uh, very similar. It's a long message that Jesus is giving to his disciples in preparation for his departure. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. He's going to ascend into heaven. The church is going to start. And the Lord is going to use the disciples to start the church. And the church is going to thrive. And there's going to be trouble. And there's going to be issues. There's going to be burdens to bear. And when we come to this passage of Scripture, Jesus doesn't uh, skirt around the issue of trouble and difficulty and struggles. Uh, He hits it head on and admits and says very plainly that it's going to happen. But he spends this length of time talking to his disciples and reminding them that even though life is troublesome and difficult, there's a lot of hope, there's joy, there's peace, there's reason to rejoice. And as he concludes this passage of Scripture, he says it in the last verse of this chapter, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Folks, I want you to know something. There's every reason in the world for God's people, irregardless to the circumstances of the moment, to be of good cheer. To be of good cheer. Uh, We always have a reason to be optimistic because Jesus is alive and well. How many of you know that to be true? Did you say amen? How many of you are like me and you consistently need to be reminded of it? Would you say amen to that too? Me too. So we go to God's Word beginning in chapter number 16, verse number 16. And I'll read a lengthy portion of Scripture and bring it to this point and this conclusion and this message. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 16, the Bible says, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said among them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while and you shall see me? No, you shall see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now, therefore, have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. 
Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's consider three simple things from this verse. The first thing I want to draw your attention to this morning is this. Number one, in the world, we have tribulation. How many of you have lived long enough to know that's true? In the world, we have tribulation. Now, as a side note, beside point one, I've, I've written this. In the world, we have tribulation, and I've written beside of it, don't be surprised. You know what's funny to me is, when people have trouble and they're shocked. <laughs> well, we really shouldn't get to the place where when things go wrong, we're shocked about it, should we? Now, I'm not telling you you should uh, go around and live your life just thinking everything's going to be terrible. We don't need a bunch of Eeyore Christians. But the truth of the matter is, there is going to be tribulation in life. There's going to be troubles to face, difficulties to plow through, problems to deal with. Health concerns, family concerns, financial concerns, etc., etc., etc. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, Listen, guys, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Don't be surprised. As a matter of fact, Jesus, all through this passage of Scripture, uses lots of encouraging words like trouble, Satan, betrayal, fear, purging, hate, persecution, death, excommunication. Jesus makes something very plain. In the world, we will have tribulation. Does that mean that because we're going to have tribulation, we can have no joy? Absolutely not. The Lord makes it possible that in spite of the tribulation and the trouble that we face in life, God has given us a unique ability, in spite of the trouble, to have joy and peace and all those wonderful things we long for. In the world, we have Tribulation. Tribulation is brought on by sin and others bring tribulation our way. But you know, one of the main sources of tribulation in your life is you. One of the main sources of tribulation in my life is me. I think it's kind of interesting in this text that Jesus says something very pointed to the disciples. If you're not paying attention, you can miss it. But the Bible says, verse 30... 
uh, Jesus has talked about the fact that he's leaving and coming again and uh, Jesus speaking plainly. And they say, the disciples say in verse 30, they say, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Now this is a bold statement of faith. And it's good, it's right, it's okay. The disciples say, we believe in you. We believe that what you say is true and we should do that. But Jesus emphasizes the reality of the frailty of our faith, even the faith of the disciples. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. Jesus answered them, do ye now believe? <laughs> it's almost like you can hear the Lord say, well, <coughs> excuse me. Do you really? Are you sure? Have you ever said anything, uh, uh, some bold statement, and the person you said the bold statement to, they're like, are you sure? I hate that, don't you? But when Jesus looks at us and he says, are you sure? We probably ought to take heed. This isn't the first time this passage of Scripture, and in this this uh, kind of season and uh, area that Jesus asks and makes this kind of a que- question and accusation. You remember Peter said, I'll follow you even unto death. And Jesus says, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And that when you're converted, when you change, you'll be able to strengthen the brethren. He said, but you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, I'll go with you even unto death. Jesus said, no, you'll deny me three times. And so the disciples are declaring their faith. And then Jesus says, are you sure? And he says this. In verse 32, he says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Jesus just says, Listen, boys, you are going to forsake me. It wasn't just Peter that forsook him. It was all the disciples that forsook him. Why do you say this, preacher? Why do you bring this up? Why do you think it's there? In the world we'll have tribulation, and often our tribulation is self-inflicted. Let me tell you something encouraging. The very same men that Jesus is looking square in the eyes and saying, you are going to mess up, are the exact same guys that Jesus says, I'm going to use you to change the world. When I look at that failure and the weakness of the disciples, and yet the commitment that Christ has to the disciples... To use them, to bless them, to help them, to strengthen them, to be their sufficiency. I'm encouraged by that because I'm with the disciples. Because I tell you, I believe in God. I believe the word of God. I believe in the power of the gospel. I know that Jesus changed my life. But I also know that in this world we have tribulation. And a lot of the tribulation that I face, I brought on myself. But irregardless to my failures and shortcomings and inadequacies, the Lord Jesus Christ loves me and wants to use me anyway. If you think that somehow God can use you when you get perfect, you're going to die unfulfilled and unused. But if you get to the place where you say, in the world I'll have tribulation and a lot of them are my fault, but Jesus will use me anyway, That's a sweet place to be, isn't it? It's a comforting place. God doesn't use perfect tools because none of his tools, his people, are perfect. But he blesses us.
You see, often our tribulation is self-inflicted, and the disciples were going to cause themselves some there, cause themselves some grief. In just a few hours, Peter would deny Jesus three times, and he will look eyeball to eyeball with Jesus as he begins to go to the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus, I mean, that Peter went out and wept bitterly, and he's going to have a broken heart. He's going to suffer tribulation. And when you do, don't be surprised. Don't let a little trouble cause you to stop trusting in Christ. Don't let a little failure cause you to give up on God using you for his glory. Oh, God is in the business of using broken things. And the word of God says this, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. In the world we have tribulation. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Tribulation is not necessarily God's punishment. Most of the time, it's not God's punishment. Tribulation is a fact of life because we live in a sin-cursed world. Tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Number one, in the world, we have tribulation. Number two, in Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, we have peace. Look what the Bible says here in this verse, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Now, Jesus gives us the secret, the open secret to peace. He says, in me ye might have peace. Do you know what the world tells you? You can have peace when you don't have trouble. The world tells you you can have peace when there's no betrayal. The world tells you you can have peace when there's nothing fearful around you and all your fearful things have been subsided and you've got things set up in your life that have overcome the fearful things. The world tells you that you can have peace when there's no purging. You can have peace when there's no hate. The world tells you you can have peace when there's no persecution. The world tells you that you can have peace when you've overcome things that cause death. Oh, if we could have a cure to cancer. And I'm all for a cure to cancer. I'm all for a cure to anything. I'm for anything that will keep me from having to suffer pain. I'm a wuss. I know I am. I'm for it. We think somehow if we could get rid of the pain, then we could have peace. If we get rid of the death, the troubles. Let me tell you something, folks. We don't find peace in the absence of trouble. We find peace in Jesus. He says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to make it really simple to you. In the world you'll have tribulation, but in me you can have peace. In me you might have peace. Look what the scripture says in verse 33. These things have I spoken. These things have I spoken. And Jesus is reflecting back. This is the last phrase of this long section. He's reflecting back on all he said. One of the things, one of the beginning things he said, we find in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And the message continues. It's a message of blessing and trouble, help and hurt, Jesus and the world. And Jesus says, listen, in me you'll have peace. In me, you'll have peace. Through this passage of Scripture, the things he's spoken, he talks of heaven. Folks, I'm so thankful that heaven is a real place 
and I'm going there. He talks of eternal life. <laughs> I'm going to live here on this planet for a short time, but I'll be in the presence of Jesus with my loved ones who know Christ as Savior for all of eternity. Hallelujah. Oh, don't get so caught up in this world that you forget that it's short. God's given us so many things to enjoy, and I love life. But I'm encouraged in the difficult moments of life that there's life eternal, perfect with Christ. In Jesus, we have peace. He speaks of heaven, eternal life, prayer, the comforter, peace, fruit, friends. Wonderful things that God has provided for us for both life and eternity. You see, in Jesus, we have peace. Look back with me in verse number 20 of this text. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? But the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. We can see the theme of the message, in the world will have tribulations. He says, you're going to weep and lament. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulty. He says, you're going to weep and lament, and you're going to look around, and it's going to look like the world's having all the fun. It's not true. He says, you'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Sorrow turned into joy. In Jesus, we have been, I want to remind you of something, that God has promised that he can turn your sorrow into joy. He can turn your sorrow into joy. I like the thought of turning it into, turning your sorrow into joy. Let's consider the quantities. If he can turn your sorrow into joy, what do we do? The more sorrow, the more joy. Now, we're not looking to make ourselves sorrowful, but if you're dealing with deep sorrow, I want to encourage you to know something, that God can turn in proportion your sorrow into joy. Hudson and I were talking yesterday, and uh, all my kids, bless their hearts, being a preacher's kid, every time you have an illustration, are you nervous yet? Nah. He's used to it. But we were talking, we we're talking about building a dream garage. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? You ever like to you ever like to think about stuff? Some people like to think about winning the lottery. I'll never win the lottery. I've never played it. But we like to think about that kind of thing. In your dream, he said, Dad, you're gonna have four bays. What do you pick? Well, we we had a good time. We we dreamed about what we'd put in our garage. It was great. It was fun. You, you ever just sit and kind of dream about stuff, things that you could you can imagine? There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. It's great. I, I like that. It's fun. So we we dreamed up our dream garage, and so it's fun to think about. The Bible says that you can turn your sorrow into joy. So immediately, my little pea brain begins to roll around sorrow into joy. If I can turn sorrow into joy, I want lots of joy. So maybe I should just be thanking God for all the sorrow. I was reminded of a story, a very important story in history. The story of Rumpelstiltskin. You remember them? You remember Rumpelstiltskin? Rumpelstiltskin came in and saved the day. There was a little girl. Her dad had lied to the king and told the king that her, his daughter could spin straw into gold. <laughs> 
Well, the king had to see it. The little girl is locked up in her quarters and with a pile of straw. And the deal is, if she can turn that pile of straw into spools of gold, then he'll marry her. But if she can't, like all these precious little children's stories, off with her head. She's in the room in the night, scared to death, and in walks Rumpelstiltskin. What does Rumpelstiltskin do? He turns that pile of straw into gold thread, and everybody lives happily ever after. You won't believe this, but that's not a true story. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but I thought about it. Man, if I could turn straw into gold, you know what I want? A great big pile of it. Great big, I mean, let me have it. Now, I want you to know something. We aren't looking for sorrows. But I will say this. If you are facing and dealing with great sorrow, I want to remind you of something. We serve a God who can turn great sorrow into great joy. We serve a God who can, to multiplied trials, give Multiplied peace. There's a song that Ruth and I love to sing. We've sang it hundreds of times to people and at funerals and everywhere in the world. We go. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials His multiplied peace. For His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. I woke up early this morning thinking about that little phrase. To his multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. And folks, you may have a mountain of sorrow piling up alongside of you. And Jesus sends word from heaven, in me you can have peace. He says, I'll turn your sorrow into peace. I don't know how it works, but it does. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives an illustration of this very thing. Look at the next verse, verse 22. Verse 21, I'm sorry. He says, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And in verse 22, he says, a woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born in the world. I talked about this briefly last Sunday morning, this early service. It's an amazing thing that a woman can go through such trial, having a child. But as soon as the baby's born, it's just like she forgets all that she went through because of the joy. Folks, I want you to know something. I don't know exactly how God does that, but He does. I don't know exactly how God turns sorrow into joy, but He does. And God wants us to remember something. That in Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, we have peace. I'm reminded of something that the Apostle Paul talks about often. He talks about, he says, we glory in tribulation. When I hear that, I think, you're crazy. 
We glory in tribulation. As a matter of fact, there's some people who want to say, critically and in, and in error, that Paul had developed some type of mental disorder. He was like a masochist, somebody that gets joy out of cutting or joy out of doing something that is terrible and joy out of suffering. But the bottom line is that wasn't Paul at all. Paul just had learned to understand that every time he faced trouble and tribulation and sorrow, God met him with grace abundant and sufficient and enough. And he just got to the place where he didn't dread the sorrow coming because he knew when the sorrow came, along with the sorrow came the grace and the floods of grace that God has promised for his people is something that we can have and rest in. You see, in the world we'll have tribulation, but in Jesus we have peace and God sends word from heaven, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In Jesus we have peace. Verse 22, this is an interesting thought. The Bible says, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Well, I love that little phrase. Your joy no man taketh from you. We live in a locked up security society. We lock the doors, we set the alarms, we protect, protect, protect. Why? Because we know that if somebody gets a chance, they'll take it from us. God has promised to give you joy that no man can take away. Joy that no man can take away. And this differentiates the joy of the Lord. This differentiates the joy of Christ and knowing the Lord and what we have in Christ from what we can have in by enjoying the world and the things of the world, no man can take it away. Oh, I glory in that. I'm thankful. In Jesus, we have peace. No man can take it away. The next subject matter that Jesus deals with, the fact that we can have peace in Jesus is the subject of prayer. Verse 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Guess what we have? We have direct access to God. We can pray. Many times over the last three chapters in God's Word, the Bible makes it very plain that you can pray, you can pray, you can pray, you can pray. Don't lose the importance of the fact that you can pray. We have direct access to God. And God is touched with the things of our infirmities. God cares about the things that burden us. And He hears and answers our prayers. Verse 24, hitherto, have ye asked me, ask no thing in my name. Ask and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Where do we get joy full? We get joy full from Jesus. He says in verse 33, our verse for today, in me you might have peace. Where do I get peace? I get it from Jesus. You see, number one, in the world we have tribulation. Number two, in Jesus we have peace. Finally, number three. It's very simple what the Bible says. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Now, this is a fascinating statement. Let's just read it together, verse 33. The Bible says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. 
Let's do a little, uh, take a little time here and consider when Jesus said this. When Jesus says this at the end of chapter number 16 in the book of John, has Jesus died on the cross yet? What's the answer? No, not yet. Well, if he hasn't died on the cross yet, has Jesus rose from the dead yet? What's the answer? No. Has Jesus ascended into heaven yet? No. Yet Jesus looks with great confidence at his disciples and says, Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Before he ever dies, before he ever is buried, before he ever rises again, before he ever ascends into heaven, before that ever takes place, Jesus says, Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. What's that mean to me? I'll tell you. Just because God's promise has not come true for you at this moment, just because you're not in heaven yet, just because we're not in heaven does not mean that we cannot plan on the blessing of God. Just because we're in the midst of trouble, does not mean that we cannot count on the fact that God will give us joy in the midst of our trouble. Jesus says, look, it's as good as done. Now, I was taught not to count your chickens before they hatch. How many of you know that? And if you do any type of business or any type of thing like that, I'd encourage you, do not count your chickens before they hatch. I don't plan on things that I don't have yet. As far as business is concerned. But I will tell you this. In regards to the promises of God. You can count those chickens before they hatch all day long. You can go ahead and trust that God is going to keep his word. You can go ahead and declare the victory before you've actually even experienced it. And I don't know what your pile of sorrow is. But God has said in his word. Be of good cheer I've overcome the world. In me, you can have peace. And so I want to encourage you to do something. Go ahead and count your chickens before they hatch. Go ahead and plan on the fact that God is going to bless you. Go ahead and plan on the fact that God is going to give you peace and joy and satisfy your soul in the midst of sorrow. I'm not saying all the sorrows go away. He says, no, in the world you have tribulation. But I'm telling you, in the midst of your tribulation, God has promised to give you peace. And you can go ahead and plan on it. Do you know what most of our angst and anxiety and grief is about? Anticipating what is ahead. And worrying about what might happen. How many of you have spent any time this past week Worried about what might happen. Maybe it's something that might happen tomorrow, next week, next year. But how many of you have spent, I'm just, it's just, and let's be perfectly honest, everybody participate, will you? Will you promise to participate? How many of you have spent any time this past week thinking and worrying about what's going to take place over the course of the next little while? Did you raise your hand? <laughs> you bunch of sinners. But I raise my hand too. I raise my hand too. What's God's word to all of us? Now look, I told you the end of the message. God's people have every reason to live in peace 
and have joy. Why? Because Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And just like Jesus, in advance of his resurrection, in advance of paying the price of redemption, in advance of the fulfillment of the great gospel message, in advance of it actually taking place, God said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let me tell you something. In advance of what you're worried about for tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and August, and September, and October, and November, and 23, and 24, and 25, and 26. In spite of what you're worried about that's going to take place, you know what you can do? With the same authority that Jesus has, because we're trusting in Him, right? He says, in me, you'll have peace. He says, I have overcome the world. What should we do today? Today, we should trust in the fact that God, for the future, is going to be present. And he's overcome the world. Today, we should be comforted by the fact that he's got this. Be of good cheer. He says, I have overcome the world. There's a verse of Scripture that I can't help but think about and when I read this passage of Scripture and think about the overcoming ministry of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 4. You don't need to turn there. The Bible says this, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Why do we worry? We're afraid we'll be overcome. We're afraid that the joy, that the sorrow pile will become so great that we can't bear it. But God has said, I'll turn your sorrow into joy. Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. One of my favorite illustrations of this truth is the Thresher nuclear submarine. Some of you know the story of the Thresher nuclear submarine. It's one of the greatest losses in U.S. military history, the Thresher nuclear submarine took a test swim or whatever you call it that a submarine does off the coast of Massachusetts. They went out several miles and dove to a depth, began to push the limits of the submarine, just checking things. The engines on the submarine malfunctioned. And the submarine continued to descend into the depths, into a deep, deep part of the ocean. They believed somewhere around 1,500 foot of depth. The incredibly fortified walls of that submarine in an instant imploded because of the pressure of the water all around it. And all 129 men on the Thresher nuclear submarine lost their lives in an instant. If you were to see the architects and the engineering renderings of the walls and the structure of that nuclear submarine, it is unbelievable. The strength that they put into that wall. But there comes a point in all submarines that the pressure outside is too great even for the strongest of strengths on the inside. 
the Thresher nuclear submarine succumbed to the pressure. Here's something that's fascinating to me. There are a number of fish that easily swim, not only swim, but live at that 1,500-foot depth. One is a swordfish. One is a swordfish. I've seen swordfish. I've seen them hanging on people's walls and people catching their sport fish. A swordfish, you know. Let me tell you something about a swordfish. He's got thin skin. A relatively light body, especially in comparison to a submarine. Yet he could swim to depths deeper than the strongest submarine that the military of the United States of America is able to produce. Why is that? His creator. The pressure within is greater than the pressure from without. And I just want you to know something. The sorrow piles up. The worries increase. The affliction and the burdens of living in this world in which we have tribulation. It gets heavy at times, does it not? Let me remind you of something. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. We spend so much time trying to fortify our outsides, trying to protect ourselves from hurt, trying to protect the people around us from hurt, trying to fortify the outside to protect the sorrow from coming in. We want to keep the sorrow at bay. We want to protect ourselves. But no matter how hard you try to keep the sorrow at bay, guess what happens? The sorrow is still there because in the world you have tribulation. We work so hard to protect ourselves. And I'm not saying you should be foolish. Protecting ourselves has its place. But if you somehow have deceived yourself into believing that somehow you can fortify your life to a place where you won't have any sorrow on this earth, you're wrong. So quite frankly, God's people should be working fortify our hearts and our insides and trusting and believing. And that's why Jesus said, boys, it's going to get tough. In this world, you'll have tribulation. He says, but in me, you have peace. He says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. See, greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. We have hope. We don't have hope that all of our troubles are going to vanish away. But we have all the hope in the world that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Our Creator has made it possible for us to overcome pressures that all the world can collapse, will collapse under. Why? He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When can you begin to trust? Right now. Why? Because we can count on what God has promised to do. Trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. And by all means, be of good cheer. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world.